Uh, today we begin a brand new series, and we're looking at the uh, New Testament book called First Corinthians. And we'll go really big picture just for a moment here. So about 2,000 years ago, there's this guy called Paul. You may have heard of this guy, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul. He spent about 18 months in this place called Corinth, uh, which is in modern-day Greece. He went there on a mission. So he went there, and he was, uh, he was telling people about Jesus, and people, some people were into it. And they started a church. They started like a little Christian community there. And he stayed there for about a year and a half, and then he left Corinth to go other places to start other churches. So he's gone for about four years, and that's all good. But then he begins to hear reports that this church in Corinth was a bit, uh, a bit wobbly. And here, here are a few examples of that wobbliness. Um, and we'll read about all of this wobbliness as we go through the book over the next year. So first, one wobble was that there were these factions in the community. So uh, these factions were forming around particular Christian leaders. And these leaders would have these, these kind of like, like groupies. And these groupies would badmouth bad mouth the other leaders. So obviously, in a community that's supposed to be you know, loving and unified, this is a problem. This is a problem. Um, there was, there was not-so-great sexual stuff going on. Christians were going to pagan temples where the practice was that you could sleep with temple prostitutes. There was a guy in the church who had shacked up with his mother-in-law. And Paul tells us later on that he goes, not even the non-Christian people in Corinth, in dodgy old Corinth, even they thought that was a bit weird. And the church's attitude was like, oh, look, it's not a problem. This is not a problem because we're free in Christ. We can do whatever we want. Their sort of weird thinking was the body doesn't matter, only the spirit matters, so do whatever you want with your body. It's okay. Now, folks, I'm sure you realize this is, this is not great theology. A couple more examples. What else was going on in this church? People were using the church services as a time um, to show off. So they're using the gifts that God had given them to serve in the church as opportunities to bring attention to themselves. And they would brag about their particular gifts. Another example. They were weird about the doctrine of the future resurrection. They didn't really think that this was important. The problem was, is they're all about living for the now. Life is about now, now, now. Only now matters. So any future stuff we don't need to hear about that. It doesn't really matter. So yeah, so there were factions. There's the mother-in-law thing. There's the terrible theology. The church, was, the church was in really bad shape. And the question we ask ourselves is, what was behind all this drama? Like, what was behind this mess? Probably helpful to know a little bit about the city. Well, the city, it was... It was um, you'd describe it as like a boom town. It had a great economy. It was a port city, had two ports on either end. It was sort of like an isthmus there. And you know, money was flowing in. People in general were um, uh, egocentric, individualistic. Uh, it was sort of a me, me, me place. A lot of army vets, a lot of freed slaves. So the whole freedom thing was big in their mind. They were central, they were competitive. Um, there wasn't like 
old money or like a class system connected to family heritage there, like you might have in like the UK, for example. Social status was all about money and recognition and applause. And if you get that, you're kind of winning. So Corinth would have loved the idea of social media. They would have loved the idea of gaining likes and followers, etc. I think this is helpful to know because it seems what, what happened in this church, the church in Corinth was more Corinthian than they were Christian. So people were coming to faith in Christ, but they didn't shake off like the worst aspects of culture. They didn't see a problem with acting in ways which were um, reflected more the culture than their faith. I mean, they liked Christianity and they enjoyed the benefits of it. It's a great story, we've got community, but it seems in many ways they were an untransformed people. So this church in Corinth, it was, it was a mess. It was a mess ethically, it was a mess theologically. Um, one of the scholars described it as a complete dumpster fire. Which is, which is great. It's a great term to describe this church. So anyway, so Paul hears about all this because they write him a letter saying, you know, some of the good guys write him a letter saying, here's what's going on. So he writes a letter to them. And the letter he writes to them in response to what he hears is going on is called 1 Corinthians. In terms of the book as an overall structure, um, there are five major sections. And in each section, what Paul does is he kind of clearly articulates where the church is in area. So five sections focusing on particular, particular issues. Um, division, all the sex stuff, the bad theology around the resurrection, etc., etc., etc. Five sections. In each section, what he does is he articulates the problem. He says, here's where you're in error. And then he shows them the beauty of the gospel and how it relates to the issue that's going on. So in each section, he says, here's how you think. Here's why this is a problem. Here's what Jesus says. Isn't that awesome? Doesn't that make sense? Here's what you think. It's not that great. What Jesus says is much better. It's a much better story. It's a much better way of thinking about this. So that's what he does. So that... Um, I mean, what, it, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get these folks to think through all the areas of their life through the lens of the gospel, through the filter of the gospel. And I think this is going to be a great book for us. It's going to be very helpful to us. Because as one of my friends said to me just before, Corinth is very similar to Vancouver. And we'll talk about that over the following weeks. So I think it's going to be great for us because we do. We want transformed lives, don't we? We want to be transformed in our faith. But we don't want to be just moralists. We don't want to be just people kind of robotically trying to be nice and do the right things. Um, we want the Holy Spirit to show us how precious the gospel is, because this is Paul's strategy. We want the Holy Spirit to show us how precious the gospel is, the beauty of Jesus, and be transformed out of that. And this is, this is what Paul does. Now, for you guys here that are youth, and when you think about it like this, it's like playing soccer or something, or whatever sport you might play at school. It's, you can get better at soccer in a couple of different ways. You can have just people shout to you from the sidelines, just shouting at you angrily, you know. And that will do some good, probably, a little bit, you know. 
But it would be much better if you just loved the game, if you just really loved the game and wanted to do well at it. And I think this is what Paul is trying to do. He wants his church to be more Christian and less Corinthian by showing them how awesome Jesus is and what a fantastic story the gospel is. Right, so that's some background. And I'll touch back on, on these ideas a little more over the next few weeks. But now let's jump in to these first nine verses, which was our reading today. If you have a Bible, that'd be great to open that or an app. That's probably helpful for you. So these first nine verses are an introduction to the whole book. So what is Paul doing here? If you read it quickly, it does sound like a lot of the introductions to other New Testament books, right? It's kind of like Paul introduces himself, and then he says who he's writing to. I'm Paul, I'm writing to you guys in this particular place. And then he says what he's grateful for. That's a pretty standard format for one of these kind of super old school letters. But if we dive into the details, which is what we'll do, you'll see he's doing, he's doing something else there. In fact, he's doing a couple of things in this introduction. First, first thing, is he's redirecting them away from themselves to God. The second thing he's doing is he's trying to help them understand that they haven't arrived spiritually. So again, he's redirecting them away from themselves to God. And secondly, he's helping them understand that they haven't arrived spiritually. So that's going to be the structure for these next sort of eight minutes here. So those are the two points. First, he redirects them away from themselves. So remember the church, it was egocentric because the, the culture they swam in was completely egocentric. And we'll see in the, um, some later chapters, the spiritual gifts weren't functioning as they should. And what I mean by that is, so this is chapters like 11 to 14-ish. Instead of these spiritual gifts being used to edify the church and encourage the church, etc., there were opportunities for people to show off. People use them as a chance to kind of prove themselves you know, more spiritual than others. Also, culturally, they lived in a time where if you wanted to be good at something, the thing you wanted to be good at was speaking. It's oratory. You know, philosophers were big. They'd come into town, they'd do these big, really interesting, dynamic talks, and they'd gain followers, and they'd gain fame, and they'd gain money, and they'd gain gravitas. This is what people wanted. So these guys in this church who were swimming in this, we're using Christianity as a me, me, me thing. Like, look at me, I've got this gift. You don't have this gift. I'm a great preacher. I've got this great spiritual gift. You don't have this gift. And again, we'll get into more detail later in the book. But Paul is kind of like hinting at it here. And I'll show you where he hints at it. Verses 4 and 5. Really simply, Paul just says this. He says, all those spiritual gifts that you have, they are all from God. And that's why he says, I really want to thank God for these particular things. Remember, they're using them to elevate themselves, and Paul is trying to redirect them away from themselves to God. If you look at verse 5, it's interesting. Um, he, says, he says, guys, I'm just so thankful for these gifts in your life, the gifts of speech and knowledge. And what's interesting is because these are the things which are causing major problems in the church. And he's like, oh, I'm so thankful for that, for those gifts. 
And this is quite different to other introductory letters, because in other introductory letters, if you compare, when Paul does his like thanking part, he always like, I'm thankful for your love, I'm thankful for your generosity. Doesn't say that, because they don't have any of that. So he picks this particular speaking gift, which is the thing they're showing off about, which is a big problem for them. He goes, I'm so thankful for that gift. And he's very clever, because he says, I'm so thankful that God gave you that. So he's undercutting their pride in their so-called spiritual achievements, their egoism, which is causing comparisons and divisions, and they're thinking they're really special. He undercuts it, and he's saying, you know, those gifts which you use to elevate yourselves, they're from Jesus. You can't take credit for that. Remember the culture was all about applause and recognition, and Paul says, that recognition, that belongs to Jesus, not you. So very cleverly, just sort of undercuts that. It's not yours. That is God's gift he's given you. Don't misuse it. That's kind of the subtext of the, I'm so thankful for these gifts. Paul unpacks that a lot more sort of in later chapters 12 to 14, but he's kind of signaling it here. Now, St. John's, our church, let me say this quite plainly, when people come to this church and they're looking for a new church and they say, tell me about the church, I give them a very honest opinion of St. John's. I say, here's the stuff we're good at, here's the stuff we're not good at, and um, on the positive side, I'll say things, what people usually say about us is that we're good at the speaking things. Good at discipleship, good at the speaking stuff. And um, like Corinth, this is, there is a danger here for us. There's a danger that we are filled with pride. This becomes a source of pride for us. That we, we think we are better than other churches. That we think we are personally better. But God in his word to us today says this. He says, whatever your church is good at, this church, other churches, it's all grace. We're just recipients. God in his goodness and his wisdom has equipped us in particular ways and it's all gift and we have nothing to boast about apart from the fact that isn't God good so if God has given you particular ways to serve in his church in the world, in the marketplace in your jobs it's a gift from, from him but those gifts can become liabilities when we say man we are just so good aren't we I am so good it becomes a liability when we use it thanklessly when we use these things that God has given us to draw attention to ourselves. So that's why in the short introduction, Paul keeps redirecting their attention away from the gifts to the giver of the gifts. And if you read the passage really clearly, you'll see that everything he thanks God for, everything he mentions, it connects to Jesus. Like every verse bar one says Jesus Christ in it. He's continually redirecting them away from themselves, away from the things that are sources of ego and pride to Jesus. So that's point one. Redirecting them away from themselves to the giver of gifts. To sort of, he's trying to take an axe to their arrogance and their me, me, meanness. So point one, point one. Point two. The other thing Paul is doing is he's helping them understand they have not arrived spiritually again this is an idea he's kind of just introducing here but he's going to flesh out a lot more later um, if you look at verses 7 and 8 
You'll see um, just the end there. You are not lacking in any gift. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. See what he's doing there. He's pointing them to the future, to Christ's return. And why is he doing that? Because we'll hear in chapter 4 later on, and again, I'm sorry I'm doing lots of bouncing around here, but um, in chapter 4 we'll hear that the church in Corinth basically thinks they're pretty perfect and that the church is the only show in town. And so why, why would they need to think about the future? This idea that Christ will return one day, will be resurrected, he will make all things new. I mean, they don't need this doctrine because they, they think we are just killing it right now. God will make all things right one day? Come on, what's to make right? Look around, Corinth. We're, we're, we're doing so well. That, that's what was, what was going on in this church. In fact... The whole book of 1 Corinthians lands at the resurrection. Right at the end, the last thing that Paul talks about is the resurrection of all Christians. That's where he lands. But the Corinthian church here doesn't want to, doesn't want to think about it. For, for them, that's a weird doctrine to go on about. Because now is all that matters, they think. Now we're doing really well, that's what they think. Now, sort of as a side note, when... When Paul talks about the Christian life in this book, he's pretty unromantic about it. He talks about how his body's kind of letting him down, how he still struggles, struggles with sin. He's very real. He's very real about his, his life. And for the, for the Corinthians, Christianity just meant triumph. It just meant winning all the time. And lots of the, lots of the church in Corinth, we discover, actually think Paul was a bit of a loser because he talks about his struggles and physical struggles and spiritual struggles. This Corinthian church, it's just about winning, man. They just want to win. They think they're going to win. Christ returning, making things right. Ah, everything's so good now. What a loser. It's a great question to ask ourselves is how much do we actually think about the return of Christ? How much do we think about Christ returning and the new creation? Uh, as many of you know, and you prayed for me, like a couple of months ago I had this Operation, right? In my guts, where they just kind of, you know. That's <laughs> pretty much it. It's a bit more technical than that. My ab modeling days are over, by the way. Um, and, you know, so I had this, where they had to remove a piece of my guts. And uh, I have this chronic illness. And, um, folks, part of the gift, part of the gift of having physical struggles in life. Part of the gift is that, is that um, the bodily resurrection that the Bible promises, that will be made new, new creation, it does become something you think about a lot. I do. I can't wait. Like, it's on my radar a lot. Like, not to have, not to have pain, not to have constant nausea, not to have these things in your life. Like, come Jesus, come. Let's, let's get this happening. See, struggle in life can actually be very helpful to us. It can lift our eyes beyond what's happening immediately in life to the great horizon, to the great promises of the Bible that Christ will return. We will be made new. All evil will be destroyed. It's wonderful. So the flip side of this is an easy life. An easy life can do the opposite. An easy life can make us think that life is all about maximizing our joy right now. 
And we can take our eyes off the goalposts that Christ will return and make things new. This is part of what Paul is doing in this introduction as well. He's, he's lifting their eyes to the great theological horizon. Because right now they're just kind of they're kind of just looking at their feet, living for now, thinking they're winning. Let's uh, finish up here. Uh, God is good. God is very good. Through Christ, God provides for his church through gifting people in specific ways. And Paul is very grateful for that. But he makes it clear then, he, make, he makes a couple of key points which he unpacks through the rest of the book. He says, look, these gifts that God gives, they can become liabilities when they become sources of pride. And at one point he actually says, having your church services is making you worse. Like it's making you worse. It'd be better if you just didn't do it, you know. Because they're so self-focused. Secondly, in the introduction, Paul introduces this idea again of Christ's return. He says, don't make your life so much about now that you forget the great hope you have. And behind all these issues, it's the same issue. The church in Corinth were more Corinthian than they were Christian. And it's, it's a theme we'll be returning to uh, a lot. Their great treasure was applause, it was status, it was prestige, not so much Jesus. Which is why, why Jesus is mentioned in almost every verse of this introduction. Folks, for your homework, if you like that kind of thing, perhaps it would be helpful to you, spiritually helpful, for you to begin to pray the Holy Spirit reveals in your hearts where are you more Vancouverite than you are Christian. And that is, that is a tricky thing, because we are swimming, we are swimming in this culture. Where are you more Vancouverite than Christian? And ask the Holy Spirit to show you that the great treasure in your life is not so much these temporary accolades which we might accrue in our lives. Our great treasure is that we get to be friends with Jesus, and we'll be with him for eternity. Amen.